At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. For many years, many have asked the question, what if God was one of us? Through the incarnation of Jesus, God answered that question, and Jesus became one of us. Every year for centuries, Christians have celebrated the miracle of Jesus' birth. This Christmas season, we're diving into a new series, Emmanuel, God with us. Learning how the arrival of Jesus Christ changes everything. He came to save us, a broken and crooked world, a fallen people. Join us this Christmas as we explore the miracle of Jesus' incarnation and the impact it still has on us. This morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. And as you turn there, Philippians chapter 2, I want to ask you this question. And you don't have to answer it out loud, but just in your head. What do you want for Christmas? Just think about it. What do you want for Christmas? Like if money was no object, and if I were to come to you this morning, I would say, hey, I, I want to give you something for Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? Now, don't answer that because I'm not actually doing that. We're, this is a, we're, we're pretending this morning, okay? But if you had all the resources, if I had all the resources to give you a gift, what would you ask for? Well, I did a, a little bit of research, and I looked and saw that the, the Statistia survey in 2023 looked at the U.S. consumers and what were the top three gifts that U.S. consumers were looking for this year. And I'll tell you what they were. The top three gifts are this. Cash, gift cards, and shoes. Was that on your list? I mean, who doesn't want a little bit of cash, right? Like, cash is nice. Like, if you're looking to get me a gift for Christmas, I'll take cash. I'll take shoes. I'll take all of, like, whatever. I'll, I'll take gift cards. I'm all for that. But that's what the most, um, most sought after or most requested gifts were to the U.S. consumers. And normally, when we think about that question, like, what would I want for Christmas? We, we want something that will make our lives better, Right? We want, we want to ask for something that will make our lives easier or help us enjoy life more. But let's be honest, we're in church this morning, so what should the answer be? What do you want for Christmas? You can answer this. Jesus, right? That should be the answer. right? If we, if we could have more of Jesus, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? And the reality is that's really what we should be asking for, right? We really should be saying, Lord, all I want is more of you, more of you more of you. But you know, there's a a part about the character of Christ that I really think we should be begging the Lord for. And that's humility. Right? If you think about it, think about it. Think about all the disunity that goes on in the world. Think about all of the the challenges that you have, even at Christmas time with your own family. When like when you guys get together, like there are certain things you don't talk about. There are are certain people you don't talk about, right? Because otherwise family goes from like zero to like nuclear in 3.2 seconds. Anyone else have a family like that? What? (laughs) Just think about in those situations and in those scenarios, how much humility can diffuse discord, right? You want to be unified? You want to experience unity? Unity can only come through humility. 
And the Bible tells us that as a creature, as a follower of Christ, that humility is essential. But humility is one of probably the most elusive things in our culture and in our understanding. Right? The moment, because this is the challenge with it, the moment that you think that you're humble, you get into trouble. Right? Like you can't stand before a, a crowd of people and say, I'm the most humble person in, the plant, uh, in this place. Right? Because the second that you do that, you stop being humble. Right? You turn the attention away from, from the, the crowd and you turn the attention to yourself. So the person that claims to be the most humble isn't humble. And it seems like humility is something that's hard for us to grasp. Because it's ever elusive. But really... It's what we need the most because it's what breeds unity. Today, as we're walking into the third week of our Emmanuel series, as we've been taking a look at the reality that at Christmas time we celebrate the fact that God comes to us in the person of Christ, that Emmanuel literally means God with us. We've been looking at the person of Christ. We've been looking at his humanity, we've been looking at his deity, we've been looking at the fact that in Christ we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And today as we're going to continue looking at this, we're going to look at one of the key characteristics of Christ. We're going to look at Christ's humility. That he gives us the ultimate example of what it means to be humble in his person and in his act. And today we're jumping into a text we're not going to look at the whole book of Philippians, but what we can see in the book of Philippians is that it's a letter written from Paul. Paul writes the letter to the church at Philippi. This is a church that he planted, and as he has seen them grow and seen them mature, he's beginning to, to see some things inside of the church that are causing difficulty. Now, in some of the churches that Paul writes to, we see that there are pressures from without. Some of the churches were facing persecution. Some of the churches were facing difficulties or challenges from without. But in Philippi, the challenges were not a theological problem. It wasn't a, a persecution problem. The problem was there were those inside of the church, specifically two people, that were disagreeing with each other. They were refusing to be humble. They both had their separate opinions that weren't gospel, weren't law. They had their opinions inside the church. And what they were doing inside the church is they were trying to get people to, to come to their position. So you be my friend and you be my friend. And then this person was getting their friend. And what was causing is they were two people were causing this massive division inside the church. And so Paul writes this letter to them. And he says, this is what should be your mindset. That conflict can be answered through humility and to show this to the church Paul pushes forth Christ as the ultimate example of humility and today as we look at this text what we're going to see is that we're called to follow Jesus's humble example Jesus the perfect embodiment as he's divine and human he's the perfect embodiment of humility he gives us this example to follow and says literally, come follow me. Today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see three ways that we are to follow Christ's example of humility. First, we're called to consider your position. Consider your position. Look with me in chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition 
or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here we see Jesus gives us the example of how we are to, or Jesus is going to give us the example of how we are to relate to one another. So as Paul is writing this, his appeal is for unity. He wants the church to be unified. He wants the family of God to be a united front. But it's going to come through humility. It's this internal identity of being humble. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Right As we look at the world today, or even, even in the church today, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He, he, what he's saying is, he's saying, when you come into this place together as the church family, don't live in such a way that you're trying to one-up the next person. Right? Don't do anything selfish. That's the way we're told in the world. Right? The t- world tells us, look out for number one, be the best person that you can be, work hard so that you can achieve and move up the corporate ladder. But that's not the way it is in the church. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Like when you come in this place, don't think as you come into this place, how can, how can I move up the ladder inside the church? How can I be made more, more famous inside the church? But instead he says, don't do that. Be humble. Right? This idea of humbleness, even in our culture, is hard for us to hear. Because no one tells you to be humble. Right? No, one, no one tells you to be humble anywhere. Instead, you're, you're an American, so you have the right to have your own feelings. You have your own right to speech. And you can think and you can feel and you can say whatever you want because you're an American. But when you come into the church, like that identity has to submit to the, your identity in Christ. Right? When we are called to live as Christ, we're called to walk like Christ. So instead of walking in selfish conceit, we're to move to seeing ourselves in a humble way, but not looking to our own needs, but looking to the needs of others. That's how we do that. If you come into this place thinking, uh, when you enter into the family of God, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, how can I be a blessing to those that are around me? How can I help others achieve greatness? How can I help them know Christ better? How can I help them? Be more like him. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, each of you, not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. We're to look. We're to anticipate the questions. We're to anticipate need. We're to come and think, like, look at the people around you and say, how can I help them? What might they need in order to be in a better position before Christ? You see, in the most healthy situations, the only people that are really concerned, the only people that are really concerned with the needs of others are parents. Right? In a healthy situation, right? Parents understand what it means to humbly care for their kids. Right? They're constantly looking out the needs for their kids. They're constantly saying, okay, they're anticipating their needs. Right? They're even saying, well, I know they've got this big test coming up, and so how can we make the family schedule better for them, and, and how can we provide, make sure that they're full, their bellies are full. Like Parents understand this, and it's easy in that relationship to know what Paul is talking about here. Do you ever think about it this way, that 
as an individual, the only person really in your life that wants you really to succeed are your parents. Have you ever thought about that? In a healthy situation, I know not every situation is healthy, but in a healthy situation, the only person that's, that in your life that really wants you to do better or to really be in a better position maybe than they were, they want you to be successful, they want you to know God, they want you to walk with God, the person that's doing that in your life is your parents. That's kind of a crazy thing to think about. Right? Everyone else in your life wants you to fail. Everyone else in your life wants you to not achieve. Everyone in your life wants to do better than you. That's just the way it is, because that's what we're taught in our culture. But not so inside of the church. Inside of the church, we're to care for one another like parents. We're to look at one another and say, what can I give this person so that they know more of Christ? So they can be more like Christ. The character of humility is difficult for us to pursue Mostly because it goes against the grain of everything we're taught in life. I remember hearing a, a pastor once share this illustration. He's, he talks about there was a, five people on a plane. It was a small plane, and we had, you had the pilot who was piloting the plane. You had a doctor who was on the plane. You had a lawyer on the plane. You had a pastor, because you always have to have a pastor on the plane. And then you had a child, right? So these five guys, or five people are flying on a plane, and, and all of a sudden the, the pilot comes over the, the speaker, and he's like, coming in, this is your captain speaking, we've got some problems. The plane is going down. He's like, that's the bad news. Good news is we have parachutes. The bad news is we only have four of them. So some of, one of you is going to have to go down with the plane. So the pilot's like, it's not going to be me, so he grabs his chute, bails out of the plane. And so we have the, now we only have three parachutes left with four people to look at the situation and decide who's going down with the ship. And so the doctor grabs a parachute and he says, guess what, I'm out of here. I've saved so many people. I deserve to have my life and deserve to live on because I can help so many more people. So he grabs a chute and bails out of the plane. Next, the lawyer stands up and he says, I'm the smartest guy that has ever lived on this planet. Uh, the, the world needs me because I got all this. So he grabs a pack and jumps out of the plane. And so there you have left the pastor and you have the, the, the little boy. And they're sitting there talking. The pastor's like, well, you've got, you're a young kid. You've got the, your life before you. You, 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 you take, take the pack and, and, and jump and, and it'll be okay. And the boy says, relax. The lawyer, who's the smartest guy in the room, didn't grab a parachute. He grabbed my backpack. <laughs> oh, pride comes before a fall. That's a long fall, right? But that just highlights the fact that, like, our, our animal instincts, like, just kick in, right? We naturally want to look out for number one. Self-preservation takes hold. Like, fight or flight, like, really is a reality that just comes whenever we least expect it. And what Paul is saying is it takes time in our hearts and in our minds to reset our minds and reset our hearts. It's a work of the Lord that has to happen inside of us because we're always going to look out for number one. So follow Jesus' example of humility. Practice this daily. Like as you wake up in the morning, think, think to yourself like instead of, hey, what do I got to get done? What do those around me need? What do the people in my life group need? 
What, what might they be going through that I could be a blessing to? Who needs a, who needs a card today? Who needs a text today? Who needs some encouragement today? Like that, that should be on our minds because we have to understand our position. Inside the church, our position changes. Like you might be somebody at your workplace. You might be like a supervisor, a leader. You might be the boss. But even in those places, like our bosses should be servants. You should be serving those that are around you. Following the example of Christ. So not only consider your position. Second, we must consider your mindset. Paul says in verse 5, he says, Has, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, humility is often the result of our self-perception and our self-awareness. Like some throughout time have, have tried to look at the challenges in life, and some now say, hey, the challenge with life right now is that people have too low of a self-esteem. Like they think too low of themselves, and so they don't think they can do anything, so their esteem is so low. But years and years ago, the problem was is that people had too high self-esteem. People would go out and they'd just use people and abuse people because they thought too highly of themselves. And I love how Tim Keller, who is a who's recently passed away, but uh, is a pastor, what he says, the problem in life is not thinking too highly of oneself or thinking too little of oneself, but ultimately we need to think less about ourselves. That's the problem, is that if you were to do a, a quick analysis of, of your thoughts this week, how many of your thoughts were about yourself? Trying to meet your needs, trying to do the things that you need to do. And then when people get in your way of doing the things that you need to do, how, how challenging is that? How angry does that make you? Our prayer should be, Lord, humble me. I think about that. What if the church started praying that? What if that became part of your daily prayer? Lord, humble me. Not, not, Lord, give me, not, Lord, help, not, help, Lord, help me, not, Lord, save me, not, Lord, do this and this and this and this. Lord, I need this, this, and this. No, Lord, just humble me. Humble me. Make, help me to see myself in the reality to who you are. Right? And just, just think about the, the paradox of this Christmas season. Right? Think about, like, you, we're faced with it for the next 10 days. Right, 11 days, 9 days, however many days it is. We're faced with it. We're deep in the midst of it. Because here at the Christmas season, what are you doing? Many of us are running around trying to get gifts for people that we love. Like we're trying to serve them. We're trying to show them how much we appreciate them by giving them gifts. But in the pursuit of giving the gifts, think about this. We pursue getting the gifts in unhumble ways. Right? You go to the mall, and you have to wait in the super long line to get into the parking lot. And what happens? You start getting angry, and you're not humble with the people that are around you. Instead, you're like, well, get out of my way. You don't know how to drive. Learn how to drive. And you do this, and you're honking your horn. Like, that's not humble. But you're, you're trying to pursue a humble thing by getting a gift for someone else. And when you go to pursue that, you're doing it in humble ways. I've seen the most unhumble people humility does not exist at the mall you feeling me 
Right? Think about that, for example. Just for a moment, like, how crazy is this? But what, Jesus, what, what we're encouraged here to do is have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And I want to explain that just for a moment. Because there's two realities to that truth. Is that we know in Christ, when Christ comes and indwells us, that we have the full power and presence of God in us. So this is true in a theological sense. Right? So what he's saying here, which is yours in Christ. So because we are in Christ, and because Christ is in us, there is potential for us, there is power present inside of us for us to be humble. It's, it, the potential's there. For someone that doesn't know Christ, humility is not really there. They have no potential. Yeah, you can do humble things, but it also, we, apart from Christ, it, it's a self-serving humility. But because Christ is in us, the potential is there. But what Paul is saying is not only the potential there, but we have to do the work of being humble. Right? We have to, have to say, it, even though the power is there, it doesn't become a present reality unless we Lord, ask the Lord to, to make it manifest itself inside of our lives. Right? Just like in, inside of um, us, because Christ lives inside of us, there's a potential to walk towards sanctification. There's a potential to, to, to be transformed from our bad habits and our addictions. Like that's a present reality that is in our lives. But unless we go through the process of saying, Lord, it's in me, help it develop in me. That's what Paul is saying here. It's the present reality is in you. You have the potential of being humble because the power is present because Christ is in you. But you have to do the work of asking the Lord to humble you. So that we can become more and more like Christ. And one of the ways you, you can tell if you're becoming more humble is if your conversations are less about me and more about we. When you, when you think more about the community than you do yourself, that's when you know you're growing in humility. But... Again, you can't be too humble or, or too expressive of your humility because then you're no longer being humble. But in Christ, we have that potential that is there. Looking out, not for our self-interest, not looking out what's best for us, but looking out what's best for the community, best for each other. Third, as we look at this passage, we're called to consider your example now this gets to the heart of the Emmanuel series. as Paul's given us the teaching of what we want to do, but then he comes and gives us the example. And this is the example he says. Who, being Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So verses 6 through 11 totally show us the path of humility through the example of Christ. The path begins by introducing the eternal glory that Christ had. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus in eternity past until this point, is in heaven where he's grasping hold of his divinity. Meaning not that he's, someone's trying to take it away, but he's calling it out. He's saying, I have the right to be God. 
I am God. So therefore, in eternity past, he has the right to be worshipped eternally by the angels. And so he's saying that in eternity past, that's where he was. And we see in this passage, we see the word form. Meaning, we see that he's in the form of God, the form of a servant, and the inhuman form. Meaning that this outward appearance is consistent with what is true about him in his inner reality. So being in the form of is an outward appearance of what is inwardly true. So he says, though Jesus, though in the form of God did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now what Paul is saying here is that that Jesus, though he is God, could have come to earth with the God identity and just come to earth. And when he came to earth in that way, in his God identity, all he could bring is judgment. Right? Because in order for a holy God to be among sinful people, he can only come with judgment. But, he's, but instead of coming, he did come as God, but didn't come as the judgmenti, judge, judging God, as the uh, exacting king. Instead, though, in the form of God, he didn't, didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But instead, what did he do? He emptied himself. Now, not emptying himself of his divinity, but ef- emptying himself of his rights. Right? He emptied himself of his rights as king. So he empties himself, and then after he empties himself, takes, empties himself of being God, and then humbly becomes a servant. So he takes on an identity. He takes on our humanity. So he empties himself of his rights, takes on limitations, takes on our infirmities, takes on our limitedness in that we can only be in one place at one time. We're hungry. We need sleep. All of those things that he never had to experience because he was God. Now he's taking on all of these things so that he can be a servant. He's found in human form. And he humbles himself. The power of the gospel is this message of divine humility. Jesus, who is God, humbles himself by becoming man. Jesus leaves his high position in heaven to live among the agony of humanity. But he does so also so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He comes, he takes on flesh so that he could die for us. He had to do it. It's the only way that it could be done in order for our sins to really be forgiven. Humanity has to die. Humanity has to be punished. And humanity is either punished in your own self or it's punished in the work of Christ on the cross. Jesus gives us the ultimate example. And at Christmas, we look at Jesus in the cradle and we marvel at the fact that God comes to dwell among us. God comes to pursue us. And I'll tell you what, there's no greater feeling in this world than to be pursued, right? Think about that. Wife, how good does it feel to be pursued by your husband? Like when he says, hey, you're the most important thing to me. Let me take you to dinner. 
Let me care for you. Child, what does it feel like to be pursued by your parents? Doesn't that feel amazing? For them to say, I want to know you. I want to be by you. I, I, I want to care for you. Like to be pursued is an amazing feeling. It's a, it's a joy that comes from uh, for us. But that's what we see in Christ being Emmanuel, God with us. It's God pursuing you. The God of the universe pursues you. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But the beautiful thing is that that's not the only thing that God does. Not only does he pursue you in Christ, he makes you right and brings you peace with God through the cross. It's the cross where your sins are paid for, when everything that divides you from God is taken away because Jesus has paid the price and he has died the death that you deserve. And so when we look at the cradle, when we look at the cross, that humbles us you can't stand at the foot of the cross and look up at the cross and say look at what i did yeah you can say that and what you're saying is yeah i put him there it was my sin that put him there i didn't do it i I did the crime but he's taking my punishment There's, there's there's no arrogance in the cross there's only humility because god died for you That humbles us. I love how in this passage it gives us three terms that help us identify how we can follow Jesus' example. First, we see the word empty. Right? That, is, that means to give up or to pour out. It means that we must empty ourselves of all pride, all selfish ambition. We, we empty ourselves of that. We say, Lord, it's, it's ever-present inside of me. It's ever-present in each one of us. Just get yourself behind a wheel and you'll find very quickly that you're full of yourself. Right? So we need to be emptied. So we, it's a process by which we say, God, help empty me. God, help humble me. Second, we see the word serve. Means that we benefit or we assist others. We give of our time. We give of our talents to help others to push them along, to help them be propped up in their faith and in their walk with God. And then third, we see the word obey. Obey means that we follow the instructions or the commands of another. Jesus obeyed his father. We see that every single step of Jesus' life, he's constantly obeying his father. And he's doing what's right, not for himself, but he's doing what's right for those whom he loves. We have a great example to follow in Jesus. Jesus displays how we are to pursue humility, and we're called to follow his lead. I want you to think about this just for a moment. Like it might be as you think about, and you're being pressed today to think about being humble and to, to, to take on the example of humility that Christ gives us. Let me push you a little bit further in the example that Christ gives us. Jesus doesn't display humility just to those people that were nice to him. Are you listening to that? Let that rest on you for a second. Who did Jesus express humility towards? Those that hated him. Those that blasphemed him. Those that denied him. Those that killed him. Jesus showed the example, the greatest example of humility. 
And what that presses us to do today, as we think about the people in our lives that we, that we need the Lord's help to express humility towards, to express unity, to experience unity towards, is not just those that we like. The power of God that lives inside of you gives you the power and the ability and the strength to be humble to those that hate you. What would that look like in your life? What if you were able to, by the power of God living inside of you, you express humility to those that seek to destroy you? Right? Specifically, he's talking again about the context inside the church, right? This is how we are. And I, I understand inside the church, we hurt one another. I, I understand that. I'm firmly aware that. I know some of you here, I've hurt you. Inadvertently, I've hurt you. And we've had to walk through the fact of me expressing my, my, uh, my apologies, my repentance towards you. And you, you coming back and say, well, I forgive you. Like that, that's a beautiful thing. But there are some, I can tell just by knowing some of your stories, that there are still some people inside the church that hurt you and you're still, still holding a grudge against and you're waiting for them to come to you. What if we actually put this into practice? And what if instead of you waiting for them to come to you to say, hey, I'm sorry, what if we just did the work of forgiving them before the Lord and then we pursue them? Ooh, what would that look like? That would be amazing. Right, that, would, that would like knit our hearts together in a way that like people that don't know Jesus, when they come inside of here, they're like, man, I don't know what it is about those people, but I can tell they love one another. Especially like when they hurt one another, like they actually forgive one another and they walk through like repentance and forgiveness and they're, they're just a place where people love one another. And they're so humble. Oh my goodness. We can be what people never see in the world. And what does that do? It draws them to Jesus. That's why the Bible says, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Man, this year, church, let's ask the Lord to give us the greatest gift of humility. Lord, humble me. Lord, humble me. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to the place of knowing or expressing um, your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It begins in being humble. It begins by you acknowledging the fact that you need a savior. You need someone to save you. You need someone to forgive you of your sins. You need someone to make you right before God, and that person is Jesus. So this Christmas, man, I, I pray that you give your life to Jesus. And if you want to know more about that, maybe, maybe it doesn't, it's not clicking with you, it's not so clear, I want you to know I'm available. I'd love to talk with you more about that. So hit me up in the, in the lobby in just a moment and say, Pastor, I want to know more about Jesus. Or you can write that down in your communication card. Um, drop that communication card off at the, um, the desk, and that way that'll get back to me, and I'll reach out to you this week and see if we can make an appointment so that we can talk more about that. But re for the rest of us, those that have already come to know Christ, let this day be a day that we just say, Lord, humble me. Help me to walk in humility so that others may see you and others may know you more clearly because the more that we are humble the more we know of jesus we begin to walk the steps that jesus walked we begin to live the way jesus lived and we get a chance to experience him personally in a better way let's pray together father we thank you so much for your love we thank you for the truths that we've been able to experience today and the example that you gave us father how true it is that in humility we find you. God, we know that we live in a culture that is so self-centered, so self-righteous, 
And every single day, we are truly tempted to look out for our own needs. Father, I pray that because you live in us, that you continue to work in us, and may humility be the characteristic that shines the most in this day, but in the days to come. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that he, through his own sacrifice, gave of his life so that we may be made right. Today, Father, we celebrate that. Help us to remember. And now as we worship, Father, please allow the words that come out of our mouths to be a reflection of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.